But uh, if you want to turn there with me, let's, let's get this thing pumped up because this morning I had, I had such good news. Sherry come in and told me that Jeremy does not have to have surgery and we've been praying for that and we'd put it on the, the Facebook page there last week that his foot wasn't doing very well. And so we needed to pray for him and he came in and uh, she said he doesn't have to have surgery. So praise God for that. And then Mark came in and told me that Penny, uh, who we've prayed for too, um, she doesn't have to have surgery. So two of the folks that we prayed for also didn't have to have surgery. So the, we, we've got some things going back and forth. So 2 Kings chapter 5. If you was here last week, you got part one. If you wasn't here last week, it's okay because we only got through four verses, so we, we'll barely hit those as we keep going in this. But this is an old, old story. It's a fabulous old story about a man named Naaman. And Naaman is a great man. He's, man, he's, he's, uh, he's a man of war, a man of distinction. He's, he's got a lot of things going for him. Everybody likes him. He's a national hero, but underneath his armor, he was the commander of the army of the Syrians. But underneath all of that armor and all of this prestige, because, I mean, he had done some stuff. But underneath all that, there was a secret that they didn't know about. And that's what we're going to find out this morning as we dig in. If you got your Bibles there, if not, we've got it up here on the screen for you. In verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5, it says, Now Naaman, he was a commander of the king's army of Syria. He was a great and an honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on some raids, and they had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And then she said to her mistress, If only my master were, a prof were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of this leprosy. Well, Naaman went and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the young girl from the land of Israel. And so the king of Syria then said, Go, go now, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothing. And then he brought the letter to the king of Israel. And this is what it said. Be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you that you might heal him of that leprosy. And it happened that when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I like God that I can kill or make alive that this man sends to me to heal him of his leprosy? Hey, Consider what he's doing. He seeks to start a quarrel with me. And so it was that when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes and had sent to the king saying, Why did you tear your clothes? Please let him come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So then Naaman went with his horses and with his chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent his messenger to him, saying, Go, 
Wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman, (laughs) Naaman became furious at this. And he went away, and he began saying, Indeed, I had said to myself, He's going to surely come out, and he's going to stand there before me. And he's going to call on the name of his Lord, his God, and wave his hands over the place, and he was going to heal me of this leprosy. Are not the Avana and the Farpar rivers of Damascus back home better than all the waters that are here in Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned around and he went away in a rage. But his servants came near to him and spoke to him and said, My father, if that prophet had told you to do some great thing, you would have done it. How much more then should you do this thing that he has asked you to do? All he said was wash and be clean. So Naaman went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, and he and all of his aides, and they came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take this gift from your servant. But Elisha said unto him, As the Lord lives and before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And though Naaman urged him to take it, Elisha refused. So then Naaman made a request and said, If not, then please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to other gods, but only to the Lord. Yet in this thing, perhaps, may the Lord... Pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I have to bow down in the temple of Ramon with him, when I bow there, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. And Elisha said unto him, Go in peace. And so he departed a short distance from him. Wow, there's a lot here to unpack today. Let's... Let's bow for a moment in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the reading of your holy and divine word. We pray now that your Holy Spirit will be here in our presence with us and you in our presence with us. And may we worship you in spirit and in truth, Father. And as we as we look at what you want us to draw from this old, old story, may it become real to us. May we understand what you want us to And then may we be edified. May we be a changed person like Naaman is going to be. May we worship you, the true and only living God, all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go back up there to verse 1 and let's get started on this. Naaman was a great and a mighty man. He, He was a warrior. He wore the suit. Of the commander in chief of the army of the king. He had special things on it. He's like the head general. But underneath all of that. There was something lurking. It was leprosy. 
And he had this little servant girl. You see, they had gone out on raids into Israel. And they had brought her back one time. And, he, and she came into his house. They took her away from home and brought her in. And she waited on his mistress. And so every night, whenever he would come in from being out and commanding the troops and being that soldier, he would have to come in and remove that dusty, sweaty armor. And they would see the pain of the leprosy that was beginning to take a toll upon not only his body, but upon his mind. Because you know it's hard to hide something like leprosy from those that you're around, isn't it? To try and keep that concealed so that they don't want to stay away from you because you have it. You want them to think that you are that mighty man of valor. So it takes a toll every day to try to hide the truth that's behind your exterior clothing. And this young maiden was brought to him as a prisoner of war. And last week, we saw that she had every right to be bitter about that, doesn't she? I mean, just think about it. She could be mad at God because as a young lady, she has been ripped from family, ripped from country, ripped from home, and taken and placed in a pagan land and is in the household of the captain of the army who may have even, we don't know, killed some of those who were in her family. And she now has to be there as a servant to that. How would you react to something like that? I might think that it's unfair. Lord, why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this to happen? But you know what? I don't read that anywhere from her. As we went through there, something that I saw from her was a faithful servant to Naaman and his wife. And maybe it was because of this. Maybe she had an unwavering faith in her God. And she knew that for some reason there must be a purpose behind the problem. There must be a purpose behind it. And you know that's a biblical thing. Romans 8.28 tells us that we know that God is able to take whatever problem we have and work it together for our good to those that are called according to his what? Purpose. There's a purpose behind your problem. And most of the time we just say that we start out after the first part of the verse. But the first part is that you may know that the Lord is able to work all those things. We got to know it and know that there's a purpose behind the problem. This girl realized that evidently there is a purpose behind why I am here. And she is filled with grace and had compassion and she begins to share with him what's going on. And I thought to myself, oh, that I might be that mature of a person of God to be able to do that in a situation like that. She is great. She knew that there's a purpose behind her problem. And then she says this, I am going to trust God that he's going to show me that one day. That he's going to allow me to know why there is a purpose behind this 
pain that I'm going through. And she said this to her mistress then. Oh, that Naaman would see the prophet that is in Samaria. Because through him the Lord God would heal this leprosy that he has. And so she didn't hold back with the cure to his crisis. And we said last week that maybe it's because if I hold back on what I can do with God. That maybe God would hold back what he can do with me. So instead of that she says I am going to allow the blessings of God to flow. And she told them and surprisingly Naaman the commander in chief of an army listens to his little servant girl. And he goes to the king and tells him what she said. And he says, go down now. And that's where we're getting ready to start now. Now we're going to hit some new territory. He says, go. Go down. That's going to be the theme of today. You got to go down. He says, I want you to go down. Because Naaman, until you go down, there's something standing in the way of your healing. There's something standing in the way of the process of this, and you got to learn the purpose behind your problem. So you got to begin this trip of going down. You know what? Same thing applies to me and you. We've got to learn to be a little bit humble. We've, we've got to learn that we've got to seek the answers to that problem. Naaman's going to try to keep going up, but the little girl told him he's got to go down. We've got to go down to get that sin of leprosy washed away because that's what it represents, really. That's what is kind of the spiritual meaning behind the physical things of this story. So the map that we're going to go to now shows you something. It shows that Naaman lives up in Syria. That's up there where the king's palace is that he's with. It's in He's going to go now, now. She said, I want you to go down into Israel, down to Samaria, down to where the prophet's house is. Well, he starts to go down, but he doesn't want to go down all the way. He wants to go only part of the way. Verse 5 there. The king says, when he goes into him, and the king says, go on down. I'm going to write a letter to the king of Israel and tell him that you are my servant and that he needs to heal you. Here is some money. Here is some fine clothes from our craftsmen. I want you to take them to him and present that and tell him to heal you. <laughs> Naaman is going up the ladder. Instead of going down he, to the prophet, he went up to the king and went to the palace. And the king tries to give him this money and now he's going to go to another king. So he goes down. He's halfway there. He goes down to Jezreel. Because that's where Jehoram the king and his palace is. He only makes it about halfway down there on the map. He goes to Jezreel. And he goes into the palace of the king. And Naaman delivers that letter in Israel. And then I want you to look at what Jehoram's response is in verses 5 and 6 there. If you're, if you're following along. It says that he read... That Naaman, so here's the king with the letter from the other king that you've been at war at, but right now you're at peace. And he says, this is Naaman, a mighty man of valor. He's my servant, but he's a leper. I want you to heal him of it. Thanks. Have a good day. <laughs> wow. 
So after Naaman's gone, the king of Israel, he gets really upset. He's, he starts shouting at all of his cabinet members at Sarah, and he says, Did you see what he just did? He says he wants me to heal him of this. All he's really trying to do is provoke a war. This is the way he's going to start a war. And then he's going to blame it on me and say it's my fault. What am I supposed to do about this situation? And it says he tears his clothes and goes into a rage. You know what? Think about what just happened. The king of Syria sends down to the king of Israel saying, I want you through your God to heal this man. Sometimes those that aren't Christians and are outside have more faith in what God can do for me than I do. When it's me that has the problem, I think, is God really still working like he did back here in those days? I don't know. Is he really listening to my prayers? Does he really care? Sometimes those that are on the outside in reality have a little more faith than what we on the inside do. Maybe God's just not ready to work towards me and those things. So there's the irony that's being played out here because you see, the king of Syria's name is Ben-Hadad. Ben means son, and Hadad was the acronym of one of their powerful gods. So here's a guy, you see, it's son of God. They all thought that whoever is king or Caesar was the representation of God to their country. That that's why they were put there. But this pagan representative has faith in the representative, the king of Israel, that the God of Israel can heal him of this. And that's the little conundrum that's going on here. He had more faith than what the king of Israel does. The king of, Is the king of Syria says you can heal him. The king of Israel's rending his clothes and getting him upset and thinking he's trying to start a war with him. So, enter Elisha, the man of God in verse 8. He enters into the picture, and when he hears what the king of Israel has just done, he sends a message to him, and he says... Look, you got upset. You didn't think God can work in the life and in the power here. And you just took the football and punted it, man. And you got all upset. He says, no, no, no. Please, send him my way. Because I want him to know something. I want him to know that there is a God in Israel. Send him down. And so Naaman begins to come down. And you know what? Every one of us needs an Elisha in our life, don't we? Because there's times when we're going to be doubtful like that king and we're rending our clothes and we're upset about what's going on and we need an Elisha to step beside of us, grab us by the hand or the arm, say, let me pray for you and things are going to be all right because God's in charge and let me tell you about the God that's going to help you. Every one of us needs that rock and somebody that has the faith and courage that we can rely on and has the, the desire to come and to help you in your situation like this. And Elisha steps up. So now, oh Naaman though, he's got to go a little lower, doesn't he? Like I said, this, this whole story is about him going low because it's about his pride. 
You see, that's, that's the leprosy that Naaman has got that's standing in the way of his healing, his pride. And he's got to go, he wanted to go to the king's court, and the little girl said, you got to go to Samaria. I want to go to the king's court and get a letter and get some money. No, you got to go to the little prophet down in Samaria. So now, he's finally going from one king to another king, one palace to another. He's finally convinced that he's got to go down to the prophet's house. And as he's going, I'm betting he's saying, I've been down here before in the battles. There ain't nothing in Samaria that's good. You Remember, they were even saying that in Jesus' day. There ain't nothing down here that's good. It ain't nothing but sand. It's a hole-in-the-wall place, and it's probably a hill-jack prophet that's down there anyway. But he goes. Against his will, really, but he's going now. So now, the cure is going to be given, because you know what? What I see here is a man of distinction that's going to have to go down pretty low. You know what this is really kind of a picture of behind the scenes? It's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 2. He is our cure for this leprosy that he has. But it says that Jesus did not think that it was robbery to be equal with God. He didn't think that it was good for him to stay in the palace of heaven and be worshipped. But it says that he saw that there was a problem down there on the earth with sin. And so he had to be the purpose behind the problem. And he says, I'm going to leave the palace and I'm going to go down. I'm going to go down to the earth. I'm going to be born as one of them in a manger. Boy, that's cleaned it up a lot. You know what a manger is? A manger is an ox trough that they fed the slobbering oxen and camels out of. That's where the hay and the stubble went, and these animals would slobber and stuff, and they said there's no room at the end, but we'll move this hay and slobber aside and put your blanket down there. And this little baby that was the king of kings and lord of lords left his palace, and it says he humbled himself. To go down and to be like one of us. And to be born and laid in that thing. And then, not only that, he had to humble himself and be obedient to the cross. Not only that, he had to die and spend three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. He said like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Until you go all the way down, you can't start going up. Sometimes the Lord's got to bring us all the way down before we realize now we can start going up. Naaman, you got to come down. And you got to get down all the way into Syria. From Syria to Samaria to the prophet's house. And not only that, he's going to get to the prophet's house and he's going to tell him he's got to go down even lower than what he is right now. So he gets over there and Elisha, he stands before Elisha's place and he gets down there and it says that his entourage is with him. Now you'll notice that when he went to the king, he brought a letter from his king. He brought money and he brought clothes, didn't he? 
You know what he thinks about the prophet? He just brings his entourage and they stand out in front of his door. Now think about this. It said it was his horses and his chariot. If you're the commander-in-chief of the army, that's like today of our commander-in-chief going into a foreign country. But he's got his tanks and Humvees and machine guns ready in case there's a problem. That's kind of the intimidation factor that's going on here. He doesn't go to the palace with money and a letter. He goes with his chariot and his horses and his men. And so now he's like, he's about had it up to here with everything. And he's intimidating the prophet and he goes there. He's frustrated. He he just wants to get this over with. And so he stands before there and he's getting ready for that. And guess what happens? The door opens. And it's a little servant boy that comes out. And he says, Elisha says, you got to go down to the Jordan River. Dip seven times in it and you'll be clean. And he goes away. It's like one of those movies where the cameo part of comedy comes in and says that to you and leaves and you're left thinking what was that Naaman is thinking right now just what was that and what is it all about he gets upset he gets mad you know why I've came all the way down here for this and everybody's talked this guy up and I told you it wasn't going to be good and he sends a boy out and he turns away in a fit of rage, it says. And as he does, he starts jawjacking to people around him saying, You know what I thought? I thought when I come here that he was going to come out. You see, he's still on his high horse, isn't he? He thought it was all about him. He's, he should have come out in my mind. He's going to come out and he's going to wave his arms and do a hocus pocus, depart like a locust, and my leprosy would be gone. Make a big deal and a show over me. But he sends this servant, and he says, I've got to go down to a muddy river and dip seven times in it, and I'll be clean. Let me tell you something. If I wanted to be clean, I would go to the rivers in Damascus where I came from. They're a whole lot cleaner than this river is right here. And in a rage and a fit, like a little three-year-old tantrum, he goes away. Well, after he gets done jawjacking and blowing off the steam, one of his servants, hmm, you realize this is the third time a servant came to him? The little servant girl said, you got to go down. The servant of Elisha says, you got to go down. Now his servant comes and says, Hey, Father, you got to go down. You know, think about this, and he's being real humble to him. He said, if he had asked you to do something really hard and great, you'd have done it, wouldn't you? You'd have broke your neck to try to do it because that seems logical to us. But all the man asked you to do was to go dip in the Jordan seven times, and you'll be clean. How hard is that? I mean, you've came all the way this far. Why don't you go ahead and go down a little further? He begins to think about it, and he turns around. But here's what I thought. You know, when the servant first told him that, all you got to do is go dip and you'll be clean, you and I would think, man, to get rid of something like leprosy that's uncurable, that is a, all, that's all I got to do? I would have done it, right? No. Because you know what? 
There's something even worse than leprosy, which is the sin that would hold me back from heaven. And the Lord said, if you believe in me and you're baptized into Christ, your sins are forgiven. But how long did I hold back from doing that? It was like he asked me to do some great thing. I would have tried it to have had that home in heaven. But when he gave me something simple, it's too simple, isn't it? So I can't judge Naaman here. I can't do that. But he finally starts to get some sense into him. And he said, won't you go down there and dip? So Naaman stops. And all of a sudden, and you, those of you that's been in Kairos, you remember the one talk that we have called the wall? See, Naaman's built this wall for a long time of who he is and what people should think of him. But now all of a sudden the wall is starting to come down. Bit by bit, his wall and the thing that's keeping him from his healing is starting to come down. And he decides to go ahead and to turn around and to go ahead and go down to that Jordan River. And for the first time, think about this, before now, the only ones that saw him without his armor, his exterior and who he is, because he's got these men with him, he can't let them know who he really is, what's underneath. Only his wife and the little servant girl knew. But now, for the first time, as he approaches that river, and he's going to have to dip and wash, for the first time, he's going to have to humble himself enough to say, here's who I really am, and I need help. And so I'm going to go ahead and go and do it. And so he removes that armor and that exterior and he bears himself to the Lord and to the world. And he begins to dip into that water. He goes down one time and he dips into that muddy water. Look at him there. Nothing happens. He dips down two times into that water. Nothing's happening. He goes down the third time and comes up and he looks and he's seeing everybody watching him. And you know, I'm thinking about right now, the devil's working on him, don't you? Don't you think he's saying, it ain't worth it, you're a fool. What a fool you're making of yourself in front of all of these guys. You're supposed to be their leader. You're supposed to be a man of valor. But you came all the way down here. And they told you to go down into a muddy river. And look at you, you look like a little pig wallowing in a slop. How many times when we've got a problem, we don't realize the purpose behind the problem. And the devil begins to start talking in your ear, doesn't he? Saying those kind of things. You're a fool for going to church. You're a fool. Why don't you just leave? You're a fool for reading that Bible. It's outdated. You're a fool for praying. Do you think that he really hears you? See, that's what the devil's doing to us. It's what he did to Naaman as he's dipping in that water. Naaman keeps going, though. He dips a fourth time. And then a fifth time. Six times. Comes up. I'm sure the pressure's on and all those guys are staring and looking at him. He's still got the sores. He's still got the stench. He still isn't clean. And I'm sure that everyone's got a doubt. You'd have thought something would have been working each time and a little less and a little less, but no. 
This is when it's really hard to keep going, isn't it? On that sixth time. But you know what six is? Six is the number of man. (laughs) Six is the number of incompleteness. Seven is the number of God and the number of completeness. It ain't about me and what I am and who I am. I could be noble and mighty and valiant. But it ain't about me. It's about God. So he goes ahead and he dips that seventh time into the Jordan River. And when he comes up this time, he's clean. You see, he had been to the palace. He had been to the king's place. He had had the money, the prestige. He had been to hell and back. But he still couldn't get clean until he humbled himself in the sight of the Lord. And dipped that seven times. And did what he asked him to do. And now he was clean and he was made whole. And it says that he had the flesh of a little bitty baby. Just like a child. And it was all brand new. And you know what? Now, Naaman began to see that this whole time there's been a purpose behind my problem. And now Naaman begins to change. And he starts to be a changed man. And you know what? He's been freed from what held him captive and had held him back for oh so long. And now he goes back to Elisha's house. That old jackrabbit preacher that he was. He goes back to Elisha's house. You know, it takes a big man. When you have stood there in all of your pomp and all of your glory, and then you leave in a fit of rage, it takes a big man to turn around and go back to that door with humble pie and begin to apologize and say, you were right. But he goes back and he says this. You see, what had been hindering his healing was his pride. And now it's gone. And so he comes back and he stands before there and he makes this confession of a faith. This is something else for a guy from Syria. He says, indeed, I now know that there is no God in all of the earth except the God of Israel. Amen, right? Amen. There is no God except the God that we serve. None of these other things count. Beneath that confession of faith, he has now found the solution to the problem that had hindered him. There was a purpose behind it. He had to get whole. He had to come to himself and know who he was. Sometimes the Lord has to bring us all the way down from our palace to the water seven times in the mud to get us to where we need to be to realize that. And then he says this. He says, I want you to have these gifts that I was going to give to the king. Now I know I I, I want to give them to you for what you told me. I want you to take this gold and silver and these fine threads. And you know what Elisha says? No, I'll have none of it. It says he continued to try to get him to take it. And he says, I will not before God. You know why? Here's Elisha's thinking. Our healing doesn't come by personal works. We can't buy it. We can't do anything to obtain it. It comes through him. It's already been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, folks. He says, you don't owe me anything. He's already paid the price for what you need. There was a purpose behind that problem. 
And he's already, I don't want it, but the Lord lives, and as long as I stand here, I'm not going to receive anything for that. He refused the gift. And now Naaman, before he leaves, he, he does something that's just crazy. He says this, If you won't take my gift, there in verse 17, he says, If you're not going to take all of these things, I want to ask a couple of things of you. First of all, I want all the dirt that two of my mules can carry. Is that crazy? What's going on with that? Why is he asking for all the dirt that two of his mules can carry? Well, you remember, old habits are hard to break. You remember we talked last week how that all of the people and all the nations thought that God was, their gods were territorial. That there's a God of Egypt, there's a God of Syria. There's this crazy people down here that thinks that there's one God that can be everywhere. But they thought that their gods were territorial. This is my God. If I go into their place, I have to offer a sacrifice to their God to appease him because it's territorial. He's got some old habits. We've got a lot of new folks in Christ. You know what? It's going to take a while to get this whole God thing in. You know what? It took me 30-some years. It takes a while to get, to get really on to everything. So what he's thinking is, I, he said this, remember verse 17, I now know that there is no other God. I'm, I want dirt for my mules because I want to take it back home with me. So that when I go there to worship, I am not going to offer up any burnt offerings or sacrifices to my God anymore. I'm not going there. But I want to prepare me a place that I feel like I'm close to God because I want to take some dirt from the God of Israel. Because he said, no place in all the earth is there a God like yours. I want to take that earth back with me as a reminder, as something that makes me feel a warm relationship with this God as I begin to worship him. Can I take two loads of dirt on my mules home with me? And then he says this. He says one more thing. When I go home, I got to go back to work. <laughs> Just like we got to do tomorrow. I got to go back to work. My job is to be with the king. I'm his right hand man. I'm his guard. And when he does, he's going to go down to that temple of Ramon. And I've got to walk him in and make sure he's safe. And I got, he's going to lean on my arm as we, I bow him down and raise him back up in that temple. I know that there's no God there now. That there's only the God of Israel. And that's who I'm going to worship. So I ask this. When I have to go there and be in that place and do my job. May the Lord forgive me of that. You know what Elisha says? Elisha says, no way man. You better move away from that place and get out of there. Uh, you got to get back over here and stay here. Don't take that earth back here with you. Is that what you read? Uh -uh. You know what he says? Shalom. Hebrew word for peace. Go in peace. That's a peace that passes all understanding. That means health, wealth, family, everything. Mind, mental. Go in peace. Don't worry about it. You know why? Because it ain't about where you are. It's who you know. And if you know Christ, and you're worshiping Christ... And you can be anywhere in this world 
And he knows what you're thinking and what you're doing. And that's what matters. So go back. And you know why he told him to go ahead and go back? Because of this. Now you're an ambassador for Christ. All of those who are in Christ are ambassadors for Christ. And how are they going to hear unless somebody teach them? So here's what you do. You go back and you worship God. And one of these days, your wife, your little maiden, she's already going to help you with this. But then when that king is bowed down in that temple, and he's holding on to your arm, and he looks and sees that your arm's like a baby, and his is getting wrinkled and old, he's going to remember that God of Israel. And maybe you will be the one who saves a soul from death by where you are, even in the temple of Ramon, your witness is going to be there. And that's the purpose behind the problem. So today, as our worship team returns and we've looked at all of this, man, grab us some dirt and go back into the world. And I, I want to ask you a question though. What stage of Naaman's trip are you at here today? Are you currently in the beginning where you're, you've not shown yourself? You're still underneath that exterior of who you are. And you still got something going on. And you're saying, I need to let that go. And I need to become a child of God. Today's the day to dip. <laughs> I got clothes back here if you're worried about it. We'll get you clothes. Today's the day that you go dip in the river. Are you where he was? When he's still seeking for the cure, but I'm looking in all the wrong places like that old song says, I'm going palace to palace, king to king, and I'm not getting down on my knees where I'm supposed to be. Whew. How about finally to the point to where your servant says, man, if he had asked you some hard thing, wouldn't you have done it? Ain't it about time you just do this? Or maybe... You're the changed Naaman. Maybe now you're the new brothers and sisters in Christ. We've had a lot of them here recently. Maybe you're right there. And I'm telling you that Naaman's showing you. It's okay to know that you got a long way to go. We got a lot of folks here. It's going to help you out just like Elisha did. That's, we're going to be your Elisha for you. I pray that whatever stage of growth that it is that you're in right now that you will make that change in those decisions like Naaman did in his life. And I pray that you will continue to grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and realize that wherever we are at in life at this point, there is a purpose behind the problem. There is a reason why you're here. Let's pray. Father, we're just thankful for your word. It is powerful. It is alive and it's really shed a light and a revelation to us of stages of life and growth and needs. And most of all, that there is a cure for our crisis and there is behind the problem, there's a purpose. And we just pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to see it. And we worship you, we glorify you and we praise you as the true and living God, in Jesus' name, amen.
Brenda, were you moved to say something? Yeah. 